Hello everyone, I am Harry Foku and I connect businesses in the gaming industry with freelance tech solutions and I'm your host. Today I'm joined by Villa Rauma, COO of Fingersoft, Dish Eldishnawi, Product Manager at Metacore, Philippe Lange, Head of Product and Engineering at Magnus Play, and Mikhail Wider, CEO of Nordisk Games. And we're here to discuss how to inspire kind of subtitle communicating vision and purpose. So before we begin, let's start with some small introductions. Ville, do you want to kick us off? Yeah, hello. So Ville Rama, uh, and uh, so currently COO at Fingersoft. Uh, what that means is basically I'm uh, helping our game teams. Uh, we currently have six uh, to build their teams and and kind of uh, make awesome games. I would say, in in short. But uh, my background is that I'm an uh, used to be an engineer, uh, specializing in in kind of backends mostly and, and making kind of huge scalable uh, backends for games uh, mostly and um, uh, I'm, I'm from Lapland so Tornio for any Finns out there I, I doubt anybody else knows <laughs> and then uh, moved to Oulu when I was uh, coming to study in the University of Oulu and ended up in the games business uh, via the university and, and been there ever since and it's now my ninth year I believe at Fingersoft so uh, from 12 uh, employee to now we have 106 people, so kind of wild ride so far. Awesome. Dish. Yes, hello. So uh, my name is Dish. I work as a product manager at, Mer uh, at Metacore. So you maybe heard of Merge Mansion. That's our biggest game. Um, we are working on some games as well that uh, will come out soon. Uh, so in, in practice, that means I work uh, well in collaboration closely with designers and analysts and, um, and basically developers and artists on building the features that well, basically like um, uh, our players would enjoy and, and continue to enjoy our game. Uh, look at the game performance and, and, and KPIs and as well like uh, live ops. Um, so um, I'm originally from Cairo. I was born there. I moved to Finland in 2011. Um, I worked in general in my career in telecom um, as an engineer and then as well in the startup ecosystem in, in Finland and um, in gaming. I worked at Rovio and Unity and now at uh, Metacore. Lovely. Philippe? Okay, hi, I'm Philippe. Um, well, I can start with saying that I'm located in Norway. Uh, I'm an, originally an engineer, but moved more and more over to product and strategy. Um, working now at Play Magnus as head of product and engineering. Um, yeah, there I lead a team of 15 to 20 people working uh, mostly with the Unity. Um, we develop chess training apps, um, quite exciting ones, especially the latest one that we will release hopefully this month. Um, I've been there since the beginning and it's, uh, yeah, in the beginning it was a very small company and it's grown to quite a, a bigger uh, company. We're like 300 people approximately now. So yeah, that's a short intro about me. Nice. And Mikkel. Yes. Hello. My name is uh, Mikkel. I uh, founded Nordisk Games about six uh, years ago. I'm part of the Egmont group. Uh, we've done over the years about uh, nine investments. Um, some of them we have bought outright. So I'm also at the board of some of these companies like Evelyn Studios Group in, in Stockholm, New York, Liverpool and Elmy, and Supermassive uh, in the England, Mercury Steam in Spain and uh, also have a Finnish uh, studio in Nitro Games, um, or at least we have half of it. Um, so um, yeah, a broad portfolio of um, of game studios. Lovely. Let's get into it. So you all have a question on how to inspire Ville. What is your question and the context behind it? Yeah. So uh, 
I have a question about uh, collaboration knowledge sharing. So basically the question is that how do you encourage open-ended collaboration and knowledge sharing between teams in your company? And the background for this is that uh, we decided like uh, years ago to move uh, to this kind of uh, multi-game team model where we have several games uh, being developed at the same time uh, and we operate on this, uh, let's say, autonomous teams model. So the teams are very independent. They can get to decide pretty much everything about the product and how things go. And uh, and then once we've gotten out of the place where uh, they they operate pretty well independently, now we have to kind of start breaking down the walls <laughs> and getting them to collaborate more because, of course, uh, you want to have some shared tools and, and other synergies between the teams. So that's maybe the background for it. Lovely. Ish, do you want to kick us off on this one? <laughs> It's always like favorite to be the last one. <laughs> well, um, it's it's a really good uh, point. Like we are at uh, not at that state yet in in Metacore, of course, because we have one one big game. At, of course, soon we that's one of the things. Of course, we are looking at. Uh, I think there's many ways of doing it. Um, it's really hard to ace it, but in a way, like when people move between teams, that's of course one way to that knowledge transfers. Actually, when people move, like when let's say an artist moves from one game to another, or like a product manager moves to another game uh, they usually come with the knowledge and sometimes even with the things they learn from the other game but maybe now they cannot change in the other game because it's already live and, and maybe it can be sometimes too risky or unpredictable what will happen if we do such a change so you can take more risk of course in a new game so that's one way um, I like the concept of crafts and my question have that term so the idea that if you have several games um, Craft as in product management, uh, live ops, um, game design, level design, uh, that actually crafts meet and share the learnings and the failures as well uh, they had in their own game, discuss and challenge and very openly uh, discuss as well what they learned uh, on a weekly basis even, uh, or bi-weekly at least, um, the learnings. So that for me, it's kind of interesting because then when each craft meets and then everyone goes back to their own game they somehow this knowledge is some somewhat intrinsically like transferred within the game team um because i think as well you you don't want too much interference between the game teams you don't want like game leads to like influence too much each other um because that's what that's how innovation dies basically so so yeah that's but but, but i agree it's a pretty important thing uh, that people should share knowledge. I think it's really much easier in tech stuff, like in, in technology and tech stack and, and so on. It's much harder in creative uh, creative stuff like art and, and so on. Awesome. How about you, Philippe? What do you think? Well, I've had uh, similar experiences. Um, I think an interesting uh, thing I've gone through is uh, when we did the IPO and we, we all bought many companies, um, we needed some kind of synergy or make sure that everyone was uh, together on things, had the same vision uh, and, and stuff like that. So a learning point there, I think, is to not force so much things. At least I try to not do it in the beginning uh, unless it's very, very necessary. So give people time to, to breathe, to understand that uh, there will not be like a revolution within the company, but uh, things will, will gradually go there um, and then Maybe just start by doing like uh, trips together and they get to meet each other in, in real life first. Um, and, and there are things that are better fit for sharing than, than other. Uh, so you don't want to disturb 
teams too much uh, in terms of like the artistic things that they're doing. But maybe there are things like marketing and uh, like promotional stuff. Um, uh, and also maybe there are different phases in projects. So you could kind of share some designers or um, like the very skilled people that can contribute on, on different sites. Um, so yeah, I think, I think that's what I can share um, on that question. Awesome. How about you, Mikael? Yeah, I think I'm in quite in line with what people have been saying. So for us, it's very important that our companies are very independent and they run their own uh, culture and organization and stuff like that instead of forcing forcing our opinions uh, onto them. Um, but of course, uh, meeting people is great. Our CEOs meet uh, like fairly uh, regularly. Uh, we like to throw some social events, for example, when we go to game uh, conferences. Uh, so we we have uh, so our, the people who are there might uh, share views and and ideas and stuff like that. Um, we do have uh, we want to set up some network groups across our companies. So for example, we have a games market forum for marketing people in all our studios, uh, where they discuss kind of like latest trends and uh, what's going on, share tips and tricks and stuff like that. So I think. That works really well, and we would like to do uh, more of that. But it definitely has to be kind of like voluntary and and not feel like um, being pressed. Yeah, can I answer myself? Of course. <laughs> yeah, I was, uh, so kind of to, I, I really like your points. I made some notes here, but uh, we have a few kind of um, systematical ways we do it. We have, for example, um, these things which we call uh, demo days. So every month we have one and a half days where people get to work on kind of whatever new stuff of if they want to learn skills. And sometimes there's themes on those. So we often like them to have nothing. You know, people can make whatever they want. But sometimes there's themes to make people kind of talk about uh, some kind of central idea or some concept or something like that. And those seem seem to be quite popular, and and we see a lot of like cool things come out of it, and hopefully kind of new new product uh, projects in the future as well. But then that, that we have other things which are run by right? kind of we have for example like a creative director who's running what he calls um, art council. So the idea is that they have some activity which is somehow related to art. So for example, they've had. Uh, uh, drawing, uh, drawing a live model, uh, and that's also like anybody can go to if they want to learn. Uh, but of course, it's mostly the artists who are there. But, um, but those are kind of more like, and and it's very important. It's not nobody's forced to go there. It has to be an attra attractive activity for people, and it, they've been very popular. So we're kind of thinking of figuring out more ways. And I, I like the crafts idea there. So. Uh, I think there are similar ideas there. <laughs> yeah, I really like the idea of making it kind of a value add, right? Like kind of selling it to them. Like what you just said, Villa, it sounds like there's a council where anyone in the business, artist, doesn't matter what scene you're in, again, voluntary and, you know, the social events, like what Felipe said in terms of like, you know, voluntary, it's not kind of shoved down their throat, so to speak. And then that makes it all kind of more natural, I guess, going forward. Uh, awesome. Let's move on to our second question then, which is Dish. What is your question and the context behind it? Yeah. So my question was um, like, 
basically like how do you um how do you make sure that all cracks uh, in your team are purpose driven um <clears throat> so like of course it comes from like how to inspire and, and communicating vision and purpose like um one interesting thing that in in some like uh crafts or roles in, in a game team like uh, people naturally are quite connected with the strategy and the long term and short term term and like quarterly and and, and, and and like yearly goals uh of a game but in some others not really a must so um i i always show that people get more inspired and encouraged uh when uh when they're close to the actual purpose of the uh, of the company um so you know when we build features for a game we always think of the intent that the players would have like why would they play the game or why would they actually do a certain action in a game but when you look actually to it itself in the game team like why would an artist work on that specific feature or why would a developer work on that feature other than just uh being uh, her or his job uh and it's a creative business so people need to be quite connected and, and feel inspired so so that's how do you make sure like in your company different crafts and different roles uh keeping inspired and purpose-driven and um you know give all their kind of heart in what they are doing basically as such being creative nice uh Mikhail. What do you think about this? Yeah, I think it's a very good question. I think it is uh, super Im important. Like when you're purpose driven, you're likely to do much better work, I think. So um, a couple of thoughts on this. Uh, first of all, I think don't uh, be shy about just repeating it a little too often. Like uh, take that slide that says, why are we doing this and throw it into the presentation a little more often than what you thought, even though you thought you just told it, but hey, let's just have it. I know several of our studios actually have it when we go to board meetings. It's like, and here is our purpose. Why are we doing this? Well, it's to ignite creativity or every girl a hero, or these are some of the kind of like purposes of some of our studios. Uh, so just be a little bit stupid about it, I think, is, is one way. Of course, the other way is to start to have it ingrained in your culture, uh, which is where it becomes really strong. Because I think once you have the culture where it's kind of like people basically know the purpose and, and it's part of, of why they go to work and stuff. Uh, so, so that's where you want to want to be, I think. But uh, But getting there might require a little bit of taking taking some some steps toward towards it and making sure that people are aligned so yeah but uh, yeah i think it's very important actually and it's easy like you're three two years like some of the projects that we have is like five-year projects and you're like three years in and uh, and you might get a little lost in in the details uh instead of thinking about the greater purpose of either the company or or the game Please. Ville, thoughts? Uh, yeah, excellent points there. I, I think I definitely agree on the repeating. At least my experience has been that it was very easy to upkeep the kind of purpose and, and the vision for, let's say, a game when you had like 40 people, but with 100 people and several projects. Uh, yeah, people, this is kind of an ongoing theme for us right now is to try to clarify these things and especially like at different levels. So usually people, uh, that they, they kind of know what they're doing, but they maybe, I don't know, there's, there's the feeling of getting lost sometimes, which is, I think, very normal for any project. And, and then what you have to do is we always try to do it at least annually is to have the teams uh, rethink their vision and, and the purpose for the project and try to figure out uh, are things going that way or is there something we need to change? And then try to do the same thing at different levels of, uh, we, we actually have, uh, we did this practice last year where we had all the teams 
uh, work on their vision for the team, kind of like whatever it is, like from marketing QA or anything else, uh, to try to get that feeling of having a purpose and where you are in the organization. Why is this important? And, and the why, I guess, is always the question we have to ask again and again. Why are we doing this? Yeah. Lovely. What do you think, Philippe? Uh, I was thinking that maybe being data driven makes this a bit easier. So you 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 connect the whole team to to a purpose, and then you kind of um, deduct the the KPIs and how the team, or you you actually talk to the team about how we can achieve what we want to achieve, and and maybe not be too afraid to talk about the like the monetization of a product or stuff like that it's incredible how the whole team can contribute and, and do quite decisive things there even though it's not their like their their um, main pr profession in, in in some sense so yeah analytics and and following those metrics keeping keep talking about them so we as leaders have the, the responsibility of of kind of updating people about these things and from my experience uh, yeah everyone is is interested and uh, uh, that said there, there are people that have another type of personality that we have right and, and i think that is also important to respect not everyone might be that interested uh in, in going into to, to, to all like the high level purposes uh as often as as others and i think sometimes that's also a relief that some people are very focused uh, uh as an as an example just to finish up my point um in our team, we have like the actually the guy that developed the world's best chess engine, and uh, and he is a fantastic resource. And I think the reason he can be this fantastic is that he does actually focus a lot on these hard problems, and that leaves less space for maybe the, the larger picture. And um, but but of course, he does contribute greatly to the larger picture. But maybe that's not the thing that he enjoys most. So. Maybe uh, workshops every now and then, uh, every third sprint or something that zooms a bit out and, and also remind people about the, the data-driven side of the project. Sorry, now I've got a little curious here because you, when you talk about purpose and then you say uh, data and analytics and stuff like that, like how, what kind of, I'm interested to hear the purpose of your, your, your company, if you can, if it's, because it sounds more like a number than a, than something else. Well, I mean, it depends when I define analytics, I also uh, include, for instance, uh, let's say uh, game reviews. So that's also data points. So if you, if, if the purpose of your um, app or game or uh, the thing that you're developing is to, for instance, teach people how to play chess or, or uh, improve their skill, uh, tactical skill or memory or whatever. This, this you can uh, argue that you can measure these things depending on how your your game is set up, right? So you do your kind of best guess on on how you can measure, and these are data points that you can can keep improving. So it's uh, and of course this is a, a part of a vision that you uh, hopefully declared with your whole team to begin with as a starting point for the whole uh, venture, or the whole game or. Um, yeah, so so that's um, that's what I meant. Really. Okay, so purpose is uh, we want to teach more kids or adults or whatever to speak uh, to uh, be and play chess, and we can actually measure it and see how we're doing. Exactly. So um, yeah, we have this uh, make the world a better place by teaching chess to everyone in a fun way. That's kind of like our our vision, our uh, or mission, if you want. And then everything we do goes towards that. Of course, you can get derailed. So I'm not saying that that's 
we always are are extremely good at, at remembering that. But, but at the end of the day, I think we are doing a decent job working towards that. And, and uh, yeah, there's a lot of data that can support if we're going towards the goal or not. <laughs> yeah, I, I that was maybe a hard stuff, but that was all I wanted Vi- to say about that. Villa, maybe you had your hand, I think, raised. Uh, yeah, it was just a little bit of a tangent, but uh, like one of the things we have in our kind of vision and purpose of course these are kind of complicated things because for us for example you have layers of these things so you know for the company but for what kind of games we make and one of the things we have in there is providing good value for money which and kind of being uh, treating the players respectfully and kind of maybe standing against the grain in a lot of the mobile space games and what you were saying about the kind of kpis and monetization thinking is something that we had to learn because we are a company where we, our success came from organic hit game where we didn't actually have any marketing. We didn't have any UA, we, like none of these things. We just made a game and it worked. So uh, and now we're kind of having to learn these things because you can't succeed in the marketplace these days, you know, trusting on hits or something like that. You have to <laughs> do the whole nine yards. So just, you know, a little bit of a tangent there, but yeah, I, th- I think these things relate somehow. Yeah, I just wanted to like as well, like when I at least thought of that question and uh, I have to say actually data came in my mind as well. Mm-hmm. Well, surprise, surprise, my background is data. But um, one thing is like ownership, because I th- I think like uh, it's really important to share um, how the game is doing or how a specific feature is doing because it gives the ownership. So it adds value to that such autonomy we've been discussing actually as such people keep being inspired and they feel the value of the work. And of course, monetization is one KPI and it's for profit. Most of the games we're talking about here. So there's no shyness in that, but engagement as well. And actually engagement is way harder to solve or even to have in a game and or to push by any percentage uh, than monetization. So I remember one situation where actually I, I shared with an artist uh, a feature that she was working on and I told her how many players uh, played that art and saw the art and she was shocked and she, she actually had a long career in gaming so but she never looked at numbers because it's not her day-to-day job to look at numbers right um it's maybe a product manager job or a game lead job or an analyst job so i think it's good to share such things because it makes people proud of their work it makes them as well um feel like high ownership in what they're doing and pride and and yeah i i i, I instance for example so like um like high ownership from her and pride in her work and even follow up like, hey, how did this thing go? And how did that thing go? And I think that makes people not only, not only talking about the specific person, but in general makes people quite engaging with their business and work is a big part of our life. We, we, we stay eight hours or so, or even more in uh, thinking or working in, in our job. And it's important that it actually, we feel it's a value that we do um, uh, on daily basis. No, oh, I completely agree. I think just, People going to the office thinking I need to do one level, like it's very important to be engaged. And that is actually also telling them about like being transparent about finances or uh, and costs and whatnot. So they, so so they take ownership. I think that's those are good thoughts. I, I think we're doing people a favor also by by kind of um, connecting them to reality because it's impossible to have a game studio that it's kind of not. Uh, financing itself or at least uh, performing well enough for for people to believe and unfortunately the monetization as well right so um so 
yeah, you're, you're, you're kind of treating the team as grown-ups instead of uh, like saying that, no, oh, this is not for you, this is for, for me and the management, upper management. So, so I, I try to look at it uh, that, that way. Um, all that said, I mean, monetization is kind of a result of other work being done well. So that is also important to remember. So give people the time to kind of perfect features and make sure that things work well. And, and then maybe the meta game comes uh, on top of that, but not not only have a meta game and then you don't have, have the like the proper, for, for instance, for us, it would be, it has to be educational. Um, and then and then we add gamification on top, right? So we, we don't forget about the educational part of, of learning chess. No, I like that a lot. I think especially if you have the luxury of having a live game where you can get that instant feedback when you're releasing stuff, like it's a gift having feedback. So in that art example, like definitely make take advantage of it. I'm thinking like in like paradox example where you probably won't get that instant feedback. Just think of other ways to have like that purpose driven, like whether it be having that autonomy or uh, so on and so on. And I like the idea of the workshops every now and then because uh, I feel like it's just a nice, it doesn't feel like a forced thing. It feels like a nice benefit thing that is going to kind of gives you that top-down perspective, which I feel it's very easy to forget when you're down and in the trenches, so to speak. Awesome. Um, let's move on to the third question. So third question is from Felipe. Felipe, what is your question and the context behind it? Okay, so so my question is how to be a good leader in a remote first team or, or company. Um, the content context is kind of easy for you to guess. It's uh, after COVID, things change, and we have gone to a remote first um, kind of state in, in the company, and things have changed drastically. And that, I believe, uh, requires some other skill set, or at least uh, it required me to, to develop as a, as a professional or as a leader. So I was wondering how other people with, uh, with this kind of responsibility felt at, at that point, and, and maybe still are feeling um, how, how does that change uh, the way that we kind of need to connect to people on a daily basis? Lovely. Mikael, thoughts on this? Sure. Uh, first of all, I, 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 I like to be in the office. <laughs> I like to go here. I, I actually hate working from home, so I, I, I definitely prefer to, do, uh, to, to, to work from the office. But of course, we do a lot of video. Um, with all our studios uh, around uh, around Europe, so it is of course super important to be good at this. Um, yeah, so I think there are various reflections to do on this. Uh, just to cover a couple of of them, like I think it's important with the in between stuff when you're remote. Uh, I, I, all the because remote is so to the point and so focused and. Let's talk about this problem. Let's do something about this. So I think it's important to create some of those slightly more casual connections uh, where there's slightly less purpose, actually. Uh, so I've been doing a lot of like walk and talks where we go for a walk in different places. <laughs> uh, like at, we have a park fairly close to our office, so I like to, to go over there. And then make sure to to not just only focus on the uh, on the problems at hand, but but try and, and get a little wider. This is on the one-on-one -on -one management, you could say, of of uh, people. Uh, on a broader level, again, maybe make sure to over communicate a little bit uh, more than what you had planned for, because it's easy to be stuck a little alone behind your screen and not knowing what's going on. So make sure to repeat some of the the purposes um, 
an extra uh, an extra time. And I have other ideas, but let's hear from uh, Ville on this one. Yeah, sure. Um, in our case, so uh, we're not really. I would I wouldn't say remote first, but it's so the way we've done it is that each team gets to decide how they want to operate, and mostly every team is at the office uh, at least on some days. But uh, we decided that it's the kind of situation is too complicated to try to have some kind of one policy for the company. It seemed especially looking at what some big companies were doing and what the response was from people. It's like, well, you know, this is maybe not the way to go. And it's been working well for us. But I think if you think about like, let's say, like leadership perspective as a person, I think empathy is one of the things which is even more highlighted now because you, you have bits and pieces of things even more than you had before. So you have to give people more benefit of the doubt and kind of find out how things actually are and what's happening before you kind of <laughs> Run, run into any situations. I think that's that's one of the things we've been at, at least trying to improve and seems to be working. And, and also, I guess the ways you, how do you collect uh, kind of the feeling around the company? Because that's usually a really important thing in leadership is, is kind of also have the, you know, the gut feeling. I guess it's just intuition from how, how you hear people talk and what they talk about. But uh, it's, um, I think how we've kind of increased the amount of one-on-ones and and have this policy that each leader should have at least one on one one on one every week with their kind of team members and things like that. So try to have a high high amount of these things. So maybe those are few few of the things there. But yeah. Probably. What do you think, Dish? Yeah, I have to say that uh, for me, myself, I like as well to work from the office, uh, at least most of the days. Um, I think there's two factors to consider. Like one, that uh, the teams that have been working together already for many years when they shifted to home, they kind of already have this kind of social connection together. Uh, so they can kind of imagine within themselves, how would that be in, like an, in an actual physical situation? But it's, I think it's really challenging for people newly hired and, and actually, you know, people in gaming rotate a lot between companies. So that's not so like it's quite common, actually, that this happens. I think it's good to actually meet in person as soon as possible. It's good for them to actually see the office. And, and uh, but once you have the team together, I think one thing you could do is like you uh, the importance of this kind of team outings and activities increase. So if there's no medical reason of not meeting outside of office. It's good to actually do those maybe on quarterly basis or even monthly that the team meet together and do something. And then, of course, if a person wants to work, depends on the company, 100% from home. Well, they can do that if the company, that's the policy of the company. But it's good that you have these team activities. I remember one one thing we did, we had this thing that whenever a game, uh, not at Metacore, but in a previous job, that um, whenever a game actually uh, exceeds the targets, like uh, we had like uh, monthly targets and of course weekly as well. But when it comes to the monthly, we had this kind of team thingy that we bring donuts and we all eat donuts together. Uh, and when COVID came, we were like, okay, what we will do and i remember like me and another colleague we uh just had the addresses of the team members and we went and dropped the donut boxes like to to people it's a very small thing right but actually i think these kind of things are really important um so one of the solutions as well that the companies can send boxes you know i know it's silly but like fruit boxes or like small things that and then the team can gather if really you cannot physically be present together um, do something together. Um, working remotely is really tricky. Uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of benefits and positives in that, but I think there's negatives as well. Like uh, uh, it's like when people work when they're sick. So I think it's have a term. I forgot it now. Maybe absenteeism or something like that. When people actually like work when they are sick. 
So um, that doesn't happen if you work from the office, usually you just take sick leaves. So there's a lot of pluses and minuses. So, um, so coming back to really to trying to give a productive answer on like how to like basically like uh, to be like a good leader in the mode first team, I think be quite conscious and emotionally intelligent. Um, try to have your one-to-ones and actually instead of just focusing on performance of the business, but rather focus on how the person feels as well. And then try to have those spaces where the team meet each other. Um, I know some companies do this kind of one hour a day Zoom that everyone can jump into, but I'm not really sure if those are really effective. It's still it's still made up, you know. <laughs> so it's good to meet in person. And when you hire a new person, you need to uh, uh, you need to make sure that this new person uh, actually um, uh, come to the office and see your culture and meet his his or her colleagues and, uh, and so on. Lovely. Come back to Philippe then on that. What do you think? I was really good to hear uh, the answers. Um, I do, yeah, I, I do recognize a lot of the thinking in, in, in some cases. I mean, we went to um, full uh, remote first setup. So we do have an office, but uh, we said like, you can use it if you if you want. And, and the tendency had been that people don't use it because there are no one else there. So it quickly turned into, okay, we almost don't need an office. It's still there though. Um, pros and cons, I would say, in my experience, and, and I still think that I have a lot to learn. So I, I don't think I have too many answers here, but I can share like some observations. And I think um, video calls are a bit different. You don't have the same nonverbal uh, communication. I think it's really hard to look at the person that you're talking to in the same sense and i don't think everyone feels the same obligation to to respond with their body and and have a body language it's more sometimes people treat it more as a phone call so that's definitely a a handicap Um, and and as it's been mentioned before it's um, you have to have more one-on-ones because you don't have that uh, vision uh, anymore you you cannot just meet people uh, at the office and, and have a feel on what's going on in their life why like um, maybe like an explanation of why they're maybe not performing that much uh, lately which can explain things uh, and, and, and give you as a leader a, a much better understanding that okay um, uh, this person needs some time now maybe you can encourage them in that case you could encourage that person to take some time off but maybe you don't detect it anymore, so you cannot do that uh, unless you have many one-on-ones. But again, I don't think the quality of those is easy to 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 have uh, as as good as in, in real life. I could go on with a lot of other things, but I think um, you guys have also covered uh, a lot. Well, just yeah. to flip it a little, there's of course also some bonuses of sometimes long-distance uh, management. I think. Uh, like for example, being able to be—I think actually we got more transparent after uh, COVID because then suddenly we're sharing stuff that maybe I would tell to a few of my direct reports, but now we're just sharing it with everyone in my my group, for example, because hey, why shouldn't they know these things? And and before it used to be more closed circles, so so I think that's a a benefit actually for for communication or even meetings you can invite even more people because hey why not uh, have them in there if they want to know what's going on or something like that so and uh, probably other uh, other nice uh, <laughs> nice things as well but uh, but it's not only bad yeah you can also hire uh, people i mean you, you already have the setup uh, so so if you hire someone 
almost like any part of the world they they have mm. the same treatment as everyone else yeah um of course there are some time zone uh, um, challenges but uh but yeah some some companies are even uh doing remote first with asynchronous uh, setups mm. so that uh, you're encouraged to to not disturb people in the same way as as before um i did try that but i i found it very very hard for a creative studio because I think we we kind of need to be in the same uh, at least virtual room and, and talk together to figure out details. So I find it really hard sometimes to explain details in an asynchronous way. Um, you need that interaction and that quick back and forth dialogue. Yeah, yeah that's, uh, one of the kind of I guess side effects that we I've noticed is that the we we have a kind of history of having a lot of company events and before the COVID and now we're going get, getting back into it and it's they they feel maybe more purposeful and intense uh, now because people don't necessarily see each other that much so that's been kind of a good positive at least for us is and also we encourage teams to have their own uh, we call them Valley who we're gonna finish which is kind of like a made up name but kind of having a free there might be a, a thing to call it but they can self-organize and they can also self-organize cross team uh, events and things like that so we kind of utilize the opportunity for the, these sort of things now, now that is the case but yeah awesome any thoughts on that dish uh, yeah i i just wanted to um add as well that some tools like um lucid charts and uh, miro and stuff like that can be really really nice when people just you can use them that people throw their ideas in them especially in a creative process and and uh, you can even vote and you can do like it's quite playful as well sometimes so they're quite nice i'm doing a free ad for them <laughs> so uh those came quite handy um, um, so that is one thing and I think as well, the other thing is like, you need to be quite, um, aware about, uh, the amount of hours people have in meetings. And if the meetings are really productive, they're well moderated. I think as well, meetings get naturally moderated when it's physical, but when they're online, um, it can happen that some specific person doesn't get a chance to speak or, uh, or as well, like you actually get out of the main agenda or topic. So I think it's important to keep meetings short and as well have a clear agenda of why the purpose of this online meeting, um, because it drains online meetings drains more than the physical meetings. Like, um, that's, that's just a fact. So, uh, and just to correct myself, it's, uh, presentism, not absenteeism. So presentism is like when a person try to like be more present, even if they're sick. So remote work increases this, but actually when companies try to elevate the absenteeism, which is the other one, which is the fact that people, um, you know, uh, are kind of absent and not functional. So many companies try to build tools and ways to make people connect from their homes to work. That actually led to more presenteeism that if the person is sick, they are always connected to work. So now they, it's hard for them to disconnect and even if they are sick, they work. So that's, that's just um, one thing that I think as a leader have to keep an eye on as well. No, 100%. Like I'm reflecting now of our experience of evolution. Like when COVID happened, we were pretty fully remote. And now we've gone into a, like a hybrid situation. And like we incorporated the Fika that Sweden use, which is like just half an hour coffee, but, you know, virtually just a day where it's kind of intense, where you literally can't talk about work. That's very nice, just especially if like someone's working from home and the others aren't working from home. People can still join to virtual meeting. And I feel like the one-to-ones are almost mandatory. Like you really can't skip them. I think what Dish was saying when it comes to sick, I was sick yesterday. I still did some work. I'm recovering today, but I, I, I'm like, I have to work in a sense. But you really need your one-to-one manager to be like very kind of proactive and kind of tell you off, you know, take some time off because 
it's almost, I feel like the default where you're just going to work everything through and kind of be a trooper. So definitely having a proactive manager kind of thinking for you rather than like your output, so to speak. And yeah, I think that's what a good leader would do, at least from my perspective. Awesome. Let's move on to the final question. Mikhail. What is your question and the context behind it? Yeah, so I thought it would be interesting to hear how your company's uh, vision and purpose uh, came to be. So kind of like the origin story of the purpose. I don't know who wants to go first. Philip, you want to give it a shot? Uh, okay, yeah. <clears throat> so, yeah, we had quite some revisions because uh, initially we were just two two people <laughs> trying to, to kick things off at, uh, at Play Magnus. So, um, yeah, we, we quickly, of course, uh, got more people into, into the team. And then we had to do some, uh, yeah, include them and do some workshops about, uh, like, where we wanted to take the company. Um, it's, a, it's a really good exercise uh, to have. I, I think it's easy to, to forget to renew the vision, um, but I also find it useful to, to split it up into, into kind of uh, every product having its own vision as well. At least it, it makes sense to <laughs> like have a sub vision for, uh, for the products. So they, so I really believe in, in unique products and, and letting uh, the products kind of uh, find their own way into, into the, yeah, the bigger purpose, or it could simply like totally branch off, uh, the, the whole, maybe not be too, too afraid of having a, a product that, that is quite different than, than what you're doing. Um, uh, given that the team really believes in, in that direction. So yeah, I think that's, that's what I had to say about that. Cool. How about you, Villa? How about things? You've been there for a long time. So I wonder if it's a similar story. Has it changed? Yeah, definitely. Like originally it was just, you know, making great games and having fun while doing it. So uh, I guess maybe game, game business, at least at that time in Finland, was very much small for, you know, small groups of people, not that many people. And so it was quite like, I don't know, everybody's parents probably were saying, like, when do you actually get a real job? <laughs> things like that. So it didn't. Well, it did kind of, I guess, affect the culture in a lot of ways that we were in the beginning. But uh, when we kind of maybe grew up at some point, we did this process where we uh, actually had workshops uh, on several different things. So we had workshops on, uh, let's say, the hill climb racing brand and the game, like what's what's that all about? And then because, like I said before, it, it was uh, success first and then thinking later. Like so, so we had to build these things and then for the company as well. So what is important to us? what are the values and, and what is the vision and the purpose for the company. And, and so we, we had a lot of those on different topics and then we kind of from those collected all the data, like, so what seems to be the core things here and then started building versions of it and then presenting those to different uh, compositions of people in the company and then getting the feedback and then kind of honing from bottom up, basically, I guess I would call it so. And we also have uh, the same thing as Philip said, that we, we have uh, the company vision, then we have vision for Fingersoft Games, which is it's more like a general directives that we make games which are smooth and uh, easy to get started in and things like that. And then each game has their own vision because, of course, they're unique products and, and you should have some simple one, two sentences, which tells you what kind of game it will be. Uh, so, or, or even in the service games, because we have games which have now been out 10 years. So it might change because you, you kind of run out of ideas at some point for under the vision. So maybe you have a new vision. For example, in Incomersing One, we actually do have a, it's quite a different game now than it was like I said four years ago. So yeah, 
there's a process to it, I, I think, at least in our case. Do you know what that vision is? Sorry, sorry to kind of dive in there, Ville, but like, what is that vision? Do you know? Uh, do you mean specifically for that game? Or Yeah, I'm very curious because that's a very interesting uh, yeah. example. Yeah, it's uh, it's basically, um, I'm cheating, I'm looking it up, but, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's a kind of definitively single player, 2D physics based driving game, relaxing and humorous gameplay, pseudo realistic, uh, though often fantastic. Uh, so it's kind of that kind of thing. So uh, mm. the, the, the humor aspect was the thing which was kind of increased in the in the kind of newest version of the vision where we actually have really cool stuff where, for example, there's, uh, let's say, I, could I guess call them like bosses in a racing game where you have like a big rat coming from the sewers and you have to get past them and things like that, which is not something we would have done back in, you know, when I was working on those. So. Uh, but really fun stuff. Nice. Awesome. Thank you for that. Uh, Dish, over to you. Um, yeah, so I, I think one thing, I think like keyword that Philip mentioned, clear vision. I think that's really important. Like at the beginning, obviously, it's like the founders own vision, what kind of company they want to build. And, um, uh, and then after that, the product as well affects a lot how the vision is really in practice. And I think it's really important to revise your vision to see that actually your products reflect what you you actually intended in the beginning. So yes, company leaders have a big part of doing that. Uh, and then as well, I think like as Bella mentioned, it's important to have this bottom up because now as you hire people and which is another thing when you hire people, you need to make sure that there are people who will feed into that vision because it's not really in your hands in, in, in two years, you might end up having a different company that you intended to have and you don't know why what happened really. Uh, so you need to always take it into consideration in everything in your hiring um, and as well, like you need to revisit it. Uh, there's many with, like methods existing in the market on how you can build a vision, uh, mission statements and all of that um, in a bottom-up approach. Uh, but I think it's, it's just a matter of like any person who leads anything in the company includes that in, in their way of working and, 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 uh, and so on. So yeah, and and, re and revise it, and not just use it as a marketing jargon or something, but actually uh, have it uh, have it applied. One thing in MetaCore when I joined, um, that actually was super interesting to me, um, is that like we we have a lead for performance and well-being, and that's is a person who's one of the leads and uh, in the company, but at the same time is not really kind of consultant in a way, a local consultant. And that person meets with uh, employees and really understand how they feel about the company. And it's like a local psychologist, if you may say, like, um, and Marianne, and I really got interested in that because it's very interesting that you have that person who actually see how people apply the vision of the company and so on, summarize that in a way, feeds, feeds that back, give a safe space to share these kind of things because maybe not everyone feel comfortable to share um, whether they're still aligned with the vision or not, or whether the company is still aligned with its vision or not um, uh, to their managers or direct managers. So when you have that kind of portal in a way, uh, it's healthy and it's interesting thing that um, after all that kind of 
you can check annually if indeed the vision is being practiced, if the company employees feel connected to the vision and that we're actually doing it, or do we need to revise the vision or change anything in how we build games or build our product to align with our vision? Nice. Over to you, Mikael. I don't know if you have a vision at Nordisk Games. We do. And also something we look for when we invest in uh, in game companies, because actually quite a few game companies, their vision is make this game. And then when we ask them about the future, it's like, make another game. Uh, and, and, and that is a little light um, for, a, for a vision. And of course, for some people, it might be felt a little like, ah, why are we doing this? And, and, and do we need to say, like, make the world a better place or something? But it is actually a good exercise to go that way. And, and, and maybe a version of make the world a better place is, is also very good. Um, so, uh, so I do think it is important that people actually do spend a little bit of that time. But um, while for the most game developers, it seems like at least the first couple of years is about, oh, let's just make this kick-ass game. So, um, so yeah, our own uh, you could say purpose. So it's 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 a uh, it's it's a combination. You could say one, we are owned by a charity foundation. That means that all our profits uh, actually in the end go to charity. Oh, wow. Um, which, which is which is of course a nice purpose to have. So every time we sell a game, we know that uh, a lot of it is going back into production, but the remaining is going to to charity as we don't have any owners actually. Um, but that's more like the ownership structure of it. And then then of course it's it's important that we also in the in our daily lives we we want to uh, we have some purpose. So for our sake, we we don't do games ourselves, but we have studios that do games. So we want to. Uh, the people working in these studios to feel that they did the work of their lives, you could say, in in the game companies where they're uh, employed. So if they could, in when they retire in many many years, look back and say, oh, those years, those were the the best. I think we have accomplished a lot. And then finally, of course, we we want uh, to enrich like the end consumers' lives by bringing amazing stories to life. So it's kind of like a three three uh, three step uh, vision we have for uh, for our company so yeah enrich enable and give back i like that because i feel like those are stuff that you can measure which is nice because i feel like when you have a very vague purpose you can kind of get away with it but like if you are enriching end consumers life you can, you can measure that right with reviews or just how many people you're actually impacting mm. and, you, and I, I really like something that you can actually just see how well you're doing because then you can like kind of check on yourself I'm just thinking like evolution. Our vision is the recruitment company best known for improving the recruitment experience. So even if we have a good experience with one company, but you just known that that impact will stay, so to speak, just kind of make it as kind of improvement. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, any follow-up questions? Anything we want to go deeper in, guys? Harry, I thought your your vision was to have the best podcast uh, ever. Well, how do you have the best podcast ever? <laughs> That's a good one. You're flipping it. It all links. It all links back. <laughs> yeah, we probably need another session for that one. <laughs> no, yeah, in all seriousness, yeah. I mean, this just I was trying to add as much value as possible, right? And this podcast is a fantastic way to do that. Awesome, guys. We'll conclude there. Uh, this has been the Evolution Gaming Podcast. I want to take this opportunity to thank Villa. Mikael, Dish and Felipe for joining today and providing the insights. And thank you everyone at home for listening. If you'd like to get involved in one of our upcoming podcasts or just want to chat, you can reach out to me on LinkedIn at Harry Foku. Foku is spelled P-H-O-K-O-U.